0: When Mark was 10, he made a Mother's Day card for his mom, and he included a few suggestions for improvement.
1: Happy Mother's Day. On the next page are a list of bad things that you do. (laughs) All you have to do is stop doing the bad things, and then you'll be the perfect mom. Bad things you do. My bedtime is too early. My allowance is too low. We shouldn't have to clean up the basement. And lastly, you should both get higher-paying jobs.
0: That's Mark reading a Mother's Day card written when he was 10. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... Ladies and gentlemen, holy smokes, this is it. I'm here, you're here, we are all here together. This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kiss. Hello, Montreal. It's nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at La Salarosa Rosa in Montreal, we have a coke-addicted prime minister, a 12-year-old's prediction of his own death, and letters from camp written 55 years ago. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it can also help us understand who we are. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. One of the things I love about kid writing is how singularly focused it can be. Kids have the ability to latch on to something and not let go, sometimes to the point of being obsessive. When Jeffrey was eight, he went to camp, and on an almost daily basis, he wrote letters home to his parents. As you'll hear, he was particularly concerned about one thing back home. Live on stage in Montreal, reading letters from camp written 55 years ago, here's Jeffrey. Thank you.
2: It is a long time ago, but what I remember is being very homesick. Dear Mommy, on the the second line, and Daddy, please get me some model glue. And do you know what? I am learning how to swim at swimming instruction. Don't forget to feed and change the water to the goldfish. Dear Mom and Dad, last Sunday when I had swim instruction, I had fun. Don't forget to feed and change the water to the goldfish. Dear Mommy and Daddy, my flashlight isn't working, so please get me another flashlight, because it is broken. <laughs> and don't forget to feed and change the water <laughs> to the goldfish. Dear mommy and daddy, I went with Richard, my brother, in the water, and I had a good time. Please don't forget to feed and change the water <laughs> to the goldfish. Love Jeffrey, XX,XX,X,XXX. Dear mommy and daddy how is Nina talking younger sister and don't forget to feed and change the water to the goldfish Dear mommy please don't forget to pick up the frame picture from the art center Dear daddy please don't forget to change the water to the goldfish and feed them from Jeffrey XXX Dear Mommy and Daddy, send me some soap. (laughs) Please don't forget to feed and change the water (laughs) to the goldfish. I have no envelopes, so send me about five of them. (laughs) Dear Mommy and Daddy, my counselor's name is Bernie and my name of my bunk is the crickets. Insert for Daddy. And I got your letter yesterday, and you cannot have the goldfish. <laughs> Love, Jeffrey. Thank you. About those letters from camp, I was really so very young at the time. And uh, I remember being pretty lonely, pretty homesick, feeling somewhat abandoned. I guess the fact that I kept repeating this thing about feeding and nurturing the goldfish, it might show that I was, really didn't think they were taking care of me. I think as adults, when we see and hear these things that remind us about what things were like when we were young, we find out where some of our issues come from. Uh, I think it's good to laugh. Good to let go of that, realize that we're not six or seven or eight, and that hopefully we've outgrown those problems.
0: When our next reader, Sarah, was in grade six, she had to write a report on a personal hero. Now, Sarah chose to write hers about Joe Clark, former leader of the Federal Progressive Conservative Party and the youngest person ever, to be Prime Minister of Canada.
3: So this is my grade 6 research project on the Right Honourable Charles Joseph Clark. (laughs) Introduction. Joe Clark is a man that many people thought would be a failure. (laughs) It was evident that he didn't have Trudeau's charisma or Mackenzie's staying power, but he did have other attributes like honesty, integrity, modesty and a vision for a perfect Canada. He has had an interesting career, one that seems sometimes difficult to follow, but always entertaining to learn about. Many people just think of Joe Clark as an old joke. But he is anything but one. I believe that Joe Clark is misunderstood and has been thrashed by the Liberals and the other parties, but there weren't that many others when he was Prime Minister. Because some people think he is odd for his honesty, an attribute that in the dirty world of politics isn't always something that people can understand. (laughs) After his term as prime minister, many people began to doubt his abilities. He later became just another conservative member of parliament after his own party dumped him in a leadership race. The story here isn't, though, about what Joe's failed at doing. It's about how he has kept his head high and stayed in politics for as long as he has. He is a wonderful debater, and is very bilingual, which is something the separatists from Quebec would like. (laughs) And he is honest about what he can and can't do, and he is modest. These are all things I want in a prime minister. When I grow up, I know who I'm voting for. Do you? Happy learning about Joe Clark. And then there is a section uh, on his personal life. Not quite sure where my sources were, but uh, this is about his food, his taste in food. There is, of course, no way someone could be conservative in every area. Joe Clark, the area where he is adventurous is when it comes to food. (laughs) Mr. Clark likes steak, but would never eat a hamburger. He is always trying different and new foods. As his wife Maureen says, if there is something interesting on the menu, he will usually try it. (laughs) Joe likes seafood, particularly lobster and fresh fish. Mr. Clark never eats potatoes, cold foods, and sandwiches. Ms. McTeer says he has never had a Big Mac attack and his daughter, Catherine, has been quoted as saying that the family ate a lot of salads growing up. When Mr. Clark was attending the University of Alberta, he did not have very good eating habits and he was known as a cocaholic.
4: <laughs>
3: meaning that he loved to drink Coke. While attending university, he ate a lot of chips, cheese crisps, candies, peanuts, and was a fan of a canned, candied popcorn treat called poppycock. (laughs) Mr. Clark has eggnog at breakfast to line his stomach so that the pains in his stomach that he often gets from drinking coffee will not be too intense. The right Honorable Joe Clark has to drink a lot of coffee during the day to keep him going. The coffee drinking has become a habit. He has to drink it so often. Thanks.
0: Where did you get those details? That was not in my copy of Encarta. Sarah mentioned that the Right Honourable Joe Clark was once known as a Coca-holic. Well, Sarah was not the only reader at our Montreal show to reference Coca-Cola. Coke also came up in a very different context when our next reader, Omar, read a short story all about
5: space aliens. So this is my scrapbook when I was 11. It has Omar's seal of quality. (laughs) And it's top secret, so this is an exclusive, guys. <laughs> "Damila, Alien Planet by Omar Hussein. <laughs> Tom Michaels put the spaceship on autopilot and reached for the remo- radio console. Houston, come in, Houston, he said into the microphone. This is Houston. I'm near a new galaxy and close to a planet. I'm going to check it out.
4: <laughs>
5: Roger. <laughs> Lieutenant Tom Michaels, as you may have figured out by now, is an ace spaceman in the 21st century. Tom landed his spaceship on the planet and got out. He saw twisting roads and floating cars. Suddenly, he was grabbed. Hold it, Earthling. We mean you no harm, said a voice. Tom turned around and saw two green aliens in suits. They showed a badge. Tom threw his phaser on the ground. One of them picked it up by the barrel. No need for that, friend, it said, handing the phaser back to Tom. Tom smiled. Hi, I'm Detective Doogly Jojo. Call me DJ. And this is my partner, Louie Gnosis. Just call me Lou, said the other alien. Hi, I'm Tom Michaels. Just call me Tom. They all laughed. We're Domilians from the planet Domilia, said Lou. How did you know I'm human, asked Tom. We just signed a peace treaty with Earth, explained DJ. Oh, remember Tom, you're the aliens. Come on, said Lou, we'll buy you a Coke. A Coke? How did you get Cokes, asked Tom. "'The world delegates said they will give us food and movies for free "'if they give them some of ours,' said DJ. (laughs) "'Hey, how does your money look like?' asked Tom. (laughs) "'Lou took out something that looked like a one-dollar bill. "'This is one Domila,' said Lou. (laughs) "'Aw, cool,' said Tom. (laughs) "'Lou walked up to a soda fountain and slipped the Domila into a box with a slot in it. "'He then picked up a glass and put it under the fountain. "'He pushed on the lever and handed it to Tom.' Well, I have to go, said Tom. (laughs) He got into a spaceship. Bye! He zoomed off into space, hoping to find other friends out there. The end.
0: Omar, ladies and gentlemen, very, very nicely done. When our next reader Navid was 19, he dropped out of college, but he didn't tell his family. So, he would leave the house every day pretending to go to school, but instead, he'd go to a coffee shop where he would sit and write. Navid says, "This was a time in his life when he was depressed but didn't know it." Live on stage in Montreal, here's Navid.
1: I'm back here at Dunkin Donuts. It's becoming my home away from home, my nest cooped up in this glass room to protect the non-smokers from the evil and deadly secondhand smoke monster. To the regulars here at Dunkin' Donuts, the daily coffee is their way to not feel lonely in all of its loneliness, by themselves. The only conversation they'll ever be involved in is when they order their cream cheese bagel, their coffee, one cream, two sugars, and when the lonely person next to them is done reading the newspaper and ask them, can I read that? We can do this at home eat bagels, drink coffees, and read newspapers. But it's way too lonely, so we go public. Dunkin' Donuts, 10 a.m., has now become the equivalent to AA meetings for the lonely. Lonely anonymous meetings. Daily, lonely, full of caffeine. And I find myself in the midst of all this conversing with the waitress and the cashier, being offered free coffees. You can buy four coffees and a fifth one is free. Here, since you didn't know, come back to see me and I'll hook you up. I have become one of them. We're all normal people, at least we're trying to be. What is normality? It might sound cliche to say this, but it's what society expects us to be. I just burped and it came out loud. (laughs) The loners looked at me with disgust. Some with a smirk. I've just downgraded in the loner hierarchy. (laughs) This girl just walked in a few minutes ago. Beautiful, dirty blonde, wavy hair, flowing down to the halfway point of her back, nicely tan skin, light greenish eyes. She looked like Tarzan's Jane. You know, me, Tarzan, you, Jane? So let's just call her Jane. Since obviously us loners do not have the testicular fortitude to simply go up to a beautiful person and start a conversation. (laughs) She was there ordering her breakfast, and I'm just staring thinking of what I could possibly say to her She turns around and she smiles She sits down at my table puts two coffees down and says I hope you like sugar in your coffee. I do Not really, but I don't tell her coffee is coffee. (laughs) I Smile she smiles we exchange small talk what she does for a living what I do for a living if she's currently involved with someone if I'm involved I ask her if she's doing anything tonight, and she tells me she's free. She leaves her number on the napkin, no name. She tells me to call her, and I tell her that she forgot to write her name. She smiles, a cute, innocent smile, and I know what I'm doing, smile. She tells me to call her tonight so we could hook up. That's two hookups in a day, if you count the coffee. <laughs> I snap back to reality and notice that she is still at the cash register, receiving her order. She walks out the door without looking at me, and all I can think is, Jane, don't leave me. She never came to sit down, she never left me her number, we never exchanged small talk, and I certainly never got her name. You think I'm pathetic, Jane. But you're lying to yourself if you claim you never imagined a conversation with a good-looking stranger you'd like to get to know. If you never looked at a good-looking, sometimes not-so-good-looking stranger and immediately saw yourselves in a public bathroom having raw, sweaty, passionate, unprotected sex. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in your imagination deep within the confines of your head you can choose to never be lonely thank you Jane and thank you Dunkin Donut Lady for the free coffee hookup god I'm lonely it's absolutely important to hold on to this kind of stuff I'm actually sad at myself for not having kept more of my journals and more of my thoughts. You never know what you're gonna read, you never know what you're gonna think when you read it again. And like in my case, I'm, I'm impressed with 19 year old Navid because he didn't lose hope. Even if he was writing about being lonely and losing hope, just the act of writing about it was helping him out. And I'm seeking a third person because I feel like I'm a different person from then. So journal entries are things that are going to allow you to shed light into where you were and what you've become and potentially and hopefully give you hope for the future because it's a cycle. We keep going in and out of these things. Cheers.
0: One of the best things about keeping a journal is how it marks the passage of time. You can look back at different points in your life and have a first-hand account of how you were feeling. And if you keep a journal long enough, certain recurring themes can crop up. Our next reader, Sarah, she read two journal entries. One of them written when she was 13 years old. The next, when she was 15. These are, as she says thematically linked please welcome to the grown-ups read things they wrote as kids stage Sarah now a quick heads up Sarah mentions a book go ask Alice which was first published in the 1970s as a kind of anti-drug testimonial and in her journal entry Sarah gives away the ending so spoiler alert all right here's Sarah
4: dear diary I never have any time to write in you anymore I just finished reading the book, Go Ask Alice. It's so sad how her life ended after she'd been doing so well. It's like that song by Enya, Only Time. I love that song. Who can tell? Only time. So true, so true. I don't wanna do drugs ever, but unfortunately, think that I will. Purposely or not. (laughs) Um, So this is uh, almost exactly two years later. Oh, yeah. Everyone thinks I'm a pothead. (laughs) Thanks.
0: Kids are often asked to write about the future, what they want to be when they grow up, what life will be like in the distant future when they're adults, those kinds of things. And when our next reader, Misha, was 12, he was asked to write about the future, but not in the usual way. The assignment here was to write a short story about your own death.
6: So this was in response to a prompt that was given to a group of 12-year-olds to write about their death. Someone thought that was a good idea. I worked my whole life, striving to achieve something that I may not live to see happen. Even as a child, I dreamt of protecting animals. And through all the chapters of my life, I dreamt of it becoming a reality. But now I lie here, and even the advanced cures of 2100 are useless. I am dying of something that had been striking people for millions of years, old age. All I can do is wait with my wife and child by my side for the doctor to return, letting me know if I will be allowed to go to the ceremony. Coincidentally, if I miss the ceremony in Stockholm, I will also be missing my 110th birthday. And now you may ask, a Nobel Prize in zoology... Newly added this year, I would be the first person to ever win this prestigious award. (laughs) Mr. Solomon, I have good news. You will be allowed to go to the ceremony. Congratulations. (laughs) The minute I hear my doctor utter those words, I limp out of bed. As quickly as we can, my family and I drive to the airport to board our arranged flight. As excited as I am, I feel a wave of sadness overtaking me. It is as if a voice is telling me... Who cares if you win? You'll be dead soon enough. But another voice comes. You'll die with honor. What more could you ask for? I shake both voices off, but I remember their messages. If I tell my family, they might worry that I'm having hallucinations and take me back to the hospital. Finally, we arrive in Stockholm. Tears trickle down my face as I realize that my dream is finally fulfilled, because at the ceremony, not only will I be awarded the Nobel Prize, it will be the dawn of a new era. Laws will be passed protecting all endangered species. Harsher punishments will be handed down to those who break these laws. As we walk into the auditorium, I feel young. I feel that I will never die. When they call my name, I walk confidently up to the stage. As I I walk up the steps, I feel a sense of perfection, of pure peace. I see everyone I have missed, my parents, my grandparents, my friends that I have outlived. (laughs) I realize that I will not be able to be on Earth when my dream is fulfilled, but it no longer matters to me. I am able to watch as everything happens as it should, as my great-great-great-great-grandchildren are born. as they have children of their own, and as my torch is passed on with pride. I am not upset, for as I once wrote as a child, if death does come and will not go, and will not be swayed to or fro, I will welcome it most willingly, for it is not death that I fear, but the fear of death that grows ever near. And with these words, I smile and think about all the worries I will not have. And all the happiness I will enjoy. Thank you.
5: Who
0: gives that assignment to twelve year olds? (laughs) Sometimes. You just want a little recognition. When you do something you're proud of, I think it's natural to want other people to take notice. Now, our next reader, Anna, she brought a few journal entries. One of them is particularly concerned about how the Iraq War might ruin the childhood of her friends. (laughs) She also has some journal entries where she is indignant that she didn't receive enough public recognition. Ladies and gentlemen, give her a little public recognition right now. Please welcome Anna to our
5: team.
7: February 27th. Well, today I got a letter from Emily. In it, she mentioned that I was one of her best friends. I don't really feel the same way. Well, I do and I don't. Whatever. Today we had an assembly. It was about this guy who had helped these kids in Africa. At some time during the assembly, Miss Bell told us that we, the School and Community Committee, would be recognized for all of our hard work at the book sale. After all, we raised $338. Miss Bell asked us if we would, that would be OK and if we would mind. We said we were fine, and she said they would probably just want us to stand up. OK, fine. We weren't expecting a party or confetti and balloons. The social committee also were going to be recognized and give the money they had raised at the Valentine's Dance to the Heart and Stroke Foundation. Fine. (laughs) Well, we're in the assembly, and the social committee is asked to come up to the front. So they stand up there, and Renee and most of her friends, that tells you how much work they did, give the Heart and Stroke lady a check of $50. Fine. (laughs) So then Mr. Duffel asks them to sit down, and we're thinking, our turn. And Mr. Duffel says, and we would also like to thank the school and community committee for their help with the book sale. And then he reads our names quick like this, Anna Bonsan, Anastasia Hearst, Natasha Fejji, etc. Anyway, we were ticked. Here the social committee raises $50 and they get all this recognition and we raise $338 and don't even get to stand up? Any idiot, and that is most of the social committee, can put up some heart-shaped posters, charge a dollar and call themselves a dance. We organized a book sale. We were having meetings at least once a day. Like I said, we were ticked. I kept looking at Miss Bell, and then she looked at me and nodded her head. Well, at the end of the assembly, Mr. Duffel apologized and said we deserved more recognition. Then we got to go up to the front and stand, and he talked a bit about what we had done, and I was so happy. Well, good night. <laughs> March 17, 2003. We knew it would happen sooner or later. George W. Bush has told Saddam Hussein to get out of Iraq in, I think, the next 48 hours, or they are going to war. Of course, the media is having a field day. But everyone knew it was happening. It's like the title of that book by Kit Pearson, Whispers of War. I feel like war was inevitable. I mean, people had millions of protests. I mean, the point of a protest is to be heard, so we had millions of protests around the globe, and they did absolutely nothing. Why? Because the government has got complete control over us. (laughs) If this war turns into something bigger, though I doubt it since the UN wants nothing to do with it, and Canada gets involved, it's going to be the guys and girls, I guess, my age going to war. I worry especially about the boys and cadets, Curtis, Dante, Derek. They would completely lose their childhood. War ages people by decades. I just couldn't stand it if this war grew any bigger. Didn't we learn from all the other wars? Isn't peace supposed to be a universal goal? If everyone's trying to stamp out racism, how is war going to help? Dan and Wilhelm are playing basketball outside. In a couple of years, they could be across the world shooting machine guns and throwing grenades. Where will this war get us? Sure, Saddam may disappear from the picture, but can't we do that peacefully? And did the Americans ever think that perhaps Saddam will slash could, by some very slim chance, win? I cannot stand this. I'm going to go read to take my mind off of it. Anna. The bookworm war hater.
0: We may be late to the game, but grownups read things they wrote as kids would like to recognize Anna and the entire school and community committee for all their hard work on the book sale. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Our show was recorded live at La Sala Rosa in Montreal and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Lullatone and Poddington Bear. If you like this show, help spread the word. Tell a friend, leave a rating on iTunes, share an episode on Facebook. It all helps and you can find links right now on your device. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.